0: Tokyo Bay.
2: Fear from us, but we are going to control you now.
3: Why, hello, and welcome to episode sixty-nine of the Kaiju Cast, the podcast one hundred percent dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and uh, this is the first episode of November two thousand twelve. And uh, actually, a very important episode for kaiju fans, especially if you like to play video games. I know a lot of people have been looking forward to hearing me talk to Simon Strange, who uh, is behind the Kaiju Combat game. And basically, we're going to talk about his Kickstarter. And we have some news to cover. Something dropped just before this episode was released, which is pretty cool that, I was, that it happened that way. Normally, I post an episode, and the next day is when, when stuff comes out, uh, hits the wire, as it were. But regardless, we're going to start with some uh, requests. And I think that the first one we're going to do is actually a request from both Allison and um, Joe. This is Save the Earth, the uh, English version from Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster. Animals, God's animals
0: Don't go away, don't go away Flowers, my flowers Don't go away, don't go. The sea has cobalt, it's full of mercury. Too many fumes in our oxygen. All the smart now is choking you and me. Good Lord, where is it gonna end? Got to get it back someday. Got to get it back and soon now. For tomorrow, maybe you and me. We're moving, we're moving, moving to the moon now. It's up to us to make a choice. We know what it's worth to save the earth. Come raise your voice. I want to make this place even better than it is. Do you have any ideas? Any suggestions? I don't think you got enough monsters. Kids will want to play with them. You need some more. And what about Monster Island? The island's full of monsters. All the monsters in the world are there. <speaking in> the <language> I'm <laughs> to destroy him.
3: You know, thank God for Man Astro Man. Uh, if they didn't have those little quotes and clips in there from the movies, I wouldn't have a good reason to play them on the show. Uh, and speaking of Man Astro Man, that was actually called Gargantua's Last Stand. Uh, they're an amazing group. I know they, uh, sort of haven't been doing very much recently, but I got to check them out last year when they came to Portland. Unfortunately, did not get to interview them because I think that would have been really, really fun. Um, but anyway, that was a request for Wyatt and working backwards, uh, from what we just heard. The song before that was from War of the Gargantuas. It's called Operation L March. Uh, that was by the Bukimisha Weird Society. That's the sort of acapella stuff you heard. It's not sort of acapella. It's totally acapella. Uh, that was actually a request from Scott, who who asked for anything by that group. And then before that, I played an audio clip from Godzilla vs. Gigan. Immediately preceding that was something from King Kong Escapes uh, for Rob. It was Madam Piranha 2. And if you're wondering why the music sort of cut off real quick, I, if memory serves me correctly, that's the music she's listening to in her apartment or her little, you know, her room within Doctor Who's compound and... and uh, She's trying to help save the the heroes, and and then you know, spoiler alert, something goes awry. So, uh, and then we started off with "Save the Earth," uh, which technically is is not by Ritsuko Minabe, but it was it was uh, actually. You know what? If you want to hear more about that, why don't you uh, download the commentary for Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster that we did? But we basically played that for Allison and Joe, who both requested that song because you know I put that out on Facebook request songs because I need to record. And man, you guys came through like champs. I'm sorry I didn't get to play everybody's stuff, but way more people responded than than I was able to actually play in this episode. Now, speaking of this episode, this is a very special episode for me because I don't know very much about video games. I'm not a big gamer. I have an Xbox and I have the, um, the three games that have been released by... I also have a Wii... I have the three games that were released by Pipeworks Software. I have Godzilla Destroy All Monsters Melee, I have Save the Earth, and I have Unleashed. And they're great. I really love the games. But when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of building a game and what's involved, I don't know anything. So if you have any interest at all in video games, whether it's uh, just playing them or you know how, what goes into making them, you're going to love this interview because basically... We have a Kickstarter project, not we, but there's a Kickstarter project that I want you to support, and a lot of Kaiju fans out there are very excited about this Kickstarter project because it's uh, by Simon Strange, who worked on those games from Pipeworks Software, and he is doing a game called Kaiju Combat, and it's definitely, definitely something you should, uh, you should help fund. Uh, in fact, why don't we just go ahead and let him take it away. Joining me via Skype is Simon Strange, who uh, you might recognize his name from his work on the Kaiju Combat Kickstarter project. And we're going to be talking to him about uh, the Kaiju Combat project. Welcome, Simon.
1: Hello, Kyle. To
3: someone who is unfamiliar at all with Kaiju Combat, how would you sort of bring them into that so that they might be interested in helping support your Kickstarter project?
1: Well, Kaiju um, Combat is sort of the, the simplest way to describe it is that it is the spiritual successor to the Godzilla games that I made with Pipeworks back in the 2000s. Um, it is giant monsters fighting one another, uh, up to four players, networked uh, in destructible environments. And the thing that makes it, or you know, makes this, the whole franchise such a cool game, is that uh, unlike most fighting games where it's just the two characters and there's really nothing getting in the way of your battle, in Kaiju Combat, you're going to have these sort of destructible environments that really affect how you play. There's going to be buildings getting in the way, there's a lot of weapons play, there's a lot of flying, teleporting, jumping, there's, movement becomes a really big part of the experience. Um, it's also four players, so that, that means you have to have sort of an interesting camera and you get a lot of interesting one-on-one, one-on-two, two-on-two tactics going on. Um, it's going to be a PC game, so it's making the jump from console to PC. Um, but then the sort of most exciting highbrow part of it is that Kaiju Combat is not a video game the way that we talk about a video game. Kaiju Combat is actually a franchise. Uh, and so Kaiju Combat isn't going to be just one game. It's going to be, hopefully, uh, a dozen games or more. Uh, and each game will have a little piece of the Kaiju universe. We're going to try to get all the different, you know, the the Godzilla license, the Ultraman license, the Gamera license, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, Um, original monsters, you know, Zone Fighter, all these different things, they're all going to have their own little games. And then when people buy these games, I mean, I'm hoping I can sell the games online for very cheap, $10 maybe. And all these little games, you can put them all together, like a big collection of Lego sets, and create the biggest, most awesome kaiju combat game you've ever seen.
3: That sounds really impressive. Mm -hmm. While I'm not... uh... I'm not a huge video game guy. I am very familiar with uh, the Godzilla games that you mentioned: Destroy All Monsters, Melee, Save the Earth, and Godzilla Unleashed, as well. Yes. Um, so you were you were part of that development team and uh, helped develop the engine for that, right?
1: Um, I well, I was the uh, the designer. I was primarily responsible for all the monsters, for all of the combat mechanics, um, the HUD elements, how the how all the mechanics and animations works and everything involving fighting in all those games was pretty much my domain um so the engine the the pipeworks engine the spigot engine one of the things it does really better than any other engine in the world uh is it has this very complex character creation mechanism um <laughs> And I've I've since used many other engines. I've used the the Prince of Persia engine. I've used Unreal. I've used you know Unity. I've used all kinds of other big engines. Uh, Tomb Raider, uh, but the Spigot engine really does this character creation thing better than anyone else, um, and leads to much more sort of uh, exciting and robust fighting possibilities. Um, and so I was um, since I was working on all the monster stuff, I was uh, helping to get all of those features developed for that. So. In that respect, I, I did work on part of the engine. But primarily my job was in the design of the combat and the monsters.
3: So when you say the, the, co- the combat aspect of the monsters, you had to deal with a lot of uh, different shaped creatures and a lot of different uh, moves, which, which is very y- not unique to the Godzilla series, but uh, you know, you see that in a lot of fighting games. But one of the, one of the terms that I heard you use uh, is asymmetrical Monster characters sure. right right can you yep. c- explain uh for for people who don't know like myself, what does that exactly <laughs> mean? I mean, I know what the sure. term asymmetrical means, but like it's it's in terms of uh video game development what is what do you mean by asymmetrical
1: so um here's a secret is that fighting games nobody really knows how to make them well, okay, okay. nobody knows how to reliably make a fighting game that is good okay um pe- that might upset some people, but let's just say that so. Often what you do is you make a character and you'll make six different characters and maybe one of them will be like, oh, this is good. If only we had six characters like this one, the game would be really good. What is often done is you'll make a bunch of characters and most of them don't really work out really well. They just don't feel good. Their animations, it just doesn't quite gel. But somebody does. And then you make everyone else essentially a copy of that character. Mm-hmm. Right. So like in Street Fighter Classic, you have Ken and you have Ryu. And they're basically exactly the same, you know. And then to more, to you know, greater or lesser degree, a lot of other characters are also just copies of them and then they, they change a little thing. And you say, oh, now I'm going to change the movement for Fireball. Oh, I'm going to make this kick a punch or this punch a kick. And you, you're you just kind of like changing one established thing that you know works. Um, because when you make something completely new, eh, it's just not that great. I mean, look at um, Super Street Fighter Two. all right? They introduced four new characters – And none of them were very good. (laughs) And you think, oh, you know, Street Fighter, Capcom, they have this great fighting game, they have this great engine, they have, you know, these 12 characters that are really well-established and everyone loves them, they're going to add four more. Isn't that exciting? Don't you think maybe those four characters wouldn't suck? But unfortunately, the way that fighting games are, it's really hard to make new characters that are really different that aren't just kind of bad. Anyway, so when we talk about asymmetrical fighting, what we mean is the characters are not copies of one another. We mean that the direction that one uh, character in the game uses is completely different from the direction another character uses. Um, to take examples from the Godzilla series, Godzilla runs around on the ground. Okay? He hits things with his claws and with his tail and then he has this long-range beam weapon that he can use to shoot people down. Right. Okay? That's kind of the, the core of the Godzilla experience. Now you take Megagirus. Megagirus is always flying. She's flying. She's really fast. She doesn't regain energy, and she has no beam. She is fundamentally a completely different fighting experience from Godzilla. You can you can get really good playing as Godzilla, and you have no idea how to play as Mega Gears. Right. right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Or or Biolante. Biolante is rooted to the ground, right? And she does this thing. Uh, where you have her tentacles are doing attacks in one direction and her mouth is doing an attack in another direction. And she can sort of like do this burrow underground thing. And her block is kind of fundamentally different from other characters' blocks. Like there's just different rules for each character. Um, and I think that's really exciting because we, you get what you call a combinatorical explosion. Okay. So when you have eight characters, you have sort of 64 different matchups. Right. And every matchup has its own sort of unique character or, or has some unique character. The more asynchronous, uh, or the, well, I'm sorry, the more asymmetrical your characters are, the more variety you have in those 64 matchups. And if you have a really asymmetrical game, every time you add new characters, the n- number of new matchups and new experiences people can have playing the game increases exponentially. Um, and that's really exciting. Wow. And so the Pipeworks Spigot Engine, that's what you called it, right? Spigot? Yep. It's the Spigot Engine. That That... That flows really well with those asymmetrical characters right. well, it's it's really it's just really wide open. I mean, and it's all built around supporting this incredible variety of different things you do with a character engine. Um, as composed uh, as opposed to, for example, the uh, the engine that's used in Assassin's Creed and the Prince of Persia series, mm-hmm. that is built around one particular thing, which is grabbing on sort of these marked edges. So in those games, you, uh, the level designers will mark edges of the world and say, oh, if I'm near this, grab it, okay, or walk like a balance beam or flip off it in this way. And so the whole engine is built around grabbing little bits of geometry, okay? So that's like the whole focus of that engine. Everything is built around it. Um, but in the Spigot engine, the, the engine doesn't focus on any particular interaction. The engine is just there to support this huge variety of interactions so that they can all sort of coexist, Excellent. So
3: your uh, your vision for kaiju combat would it be how similar would you would you say it would be? Is it, sort of like the core basic fighting game genre uh, that we that we have seen with the Godzilla series. How how similar would you say it would be to those Godzilla games?
1: Um, I believe that kaiju combat is going to be very similar to uh, Godzilla Save the Earth mechanically. I would say there's probably going to be about seventy five percent overlap. Although I can't tell you exactly for sure because uh, one of the other exciting things we're doing with Kaiju Combat is because we are crowdfunding it, I am letting all of the people who donate to the game help in the design of the game. Uh, we've actually had forums running now for almost two months. Uh, we've got, I think we're, we're already over 10,000 Posts of people discussing different mechanics. Oh, how will this monster work? Uh, how will the rage meter work? How's energy going to work? What kind of health bar are we going to have? Uh, and we're sort of debating, and we're throwing all these things up for up for discussion. You know, what sort of cutscenes do we do? How many monsters? How frequently do we do the releases? Um, and all the people who have contributed to the Kickstarter get to vote and help us make these decisions. So when I say I'm suspecting there's like 75 percent overlap. I'm not saying that because I have a specific plan because the plan is evolving with the help of uh, all the fans. Right. You're currently
3: currently talking to fans, currently talking to people, supporters yep. who are helping you
1: develop the aspects of the game that, that right. they want to see essentially, right? Um, so it's actually, it's, Actually, the forums are open to everybody, mm-hmm. um, so actually anybody can get in there and just start talking. Um, but only the the Kickstarter backers have some of these votes about which discussions continue and which ones we just kind of terminate. Um, so that that really hasn't been a big deal yet. There there really hasn't been anything someone's brought up that we didn't care enough about to just let it die. But uh, they do have a little bit of extra authority.
3: Right. So can we talk about uh, the Kickstarter project that that already happened? Sure. Uh, that went that yeah. went through. So you guys, uh, you started the Kickstarter at the beginning
1: of July, is that right? Yes, yep, on uh, July 1st, which it turns out was terrible. Terrible, terrible timing um, because the timing of 4th of July holiday this year meant that almost everybody was having a five-day weekend. Mm-hmm. And so just as there was a five-day weekend starting, I started the, the Kickstarter. And so we didn't get any press at all for almost a week and a half. Ah, right. And that was uh, that was really bad. So when you run a Kickstarter, it lets you see how many people have visited your Kickstarter site. Okay. Right, so you can see how many people are coming in. You get an idea of how many people are watching the video, how many people are donating and so forth. Uh, so we had about 200 people total look at the Kickstarter in that first week, week and a half. So 200 is not... That is not good. No, <laughs> um, the second week and a half, we had ten thousand people look at it. Yeah, Just see to that, that seems more
3: more like what you'd want for your first week, at least. Right.
1: And but the problem is, is that the 200, uh, of those two hundred, about one hundred fifty of them donated. So I mean, the people who were coming there, they were there to give money, and the average donation was really high. Unfortunately, we'd only raised uh, six or seven thousand dollars, and then when people came on the second week. All the way at ten thousand, they looked at it and said, "Oh, the numbers—they don't look good. This is going to fail. I'm not going to bother." Ah, um, sort of like see. the way that you know people won't vote for a presidential candidate if they think their candidate's not going to win, which is which is terrible. That's not how things should work, but that that is how things work. I see the the psychology of it was uh, against us, so we're hoping to do a lot better this time.
3: Now, uh, your goal for for the previous project was three hundred fifty thousand right. dollars U.S. dollars. And yep. uh, you looks like you raised or you had pledged, you had received 000. pledges uh, up yep. to thirty five thousand. Yep. Um, what is the goal going to be essentially? And I know some of this is nebulous, but what do you sure. think the goal is going to be for the second one? Is going to be the same, uh, so same goal or goal, higher, or less? Uh,
1: for our new Kickstarter, I'm going to set it at one hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Um, so, so uh, when you do a Kickstarter campaign, the Kickstarter takes about ten or T- about 10% of all the money that is pledged. So the original goal, $350,000, that was set so that uh, so we had $300,000 for development. So the game is still going to require $300,000 to develop. That mm-hmm. has not changed. But uh, I have been spending the time since then, until now, um, finding money through other sources, um, which is not ideal for reasons we will discuss in a moment, but I've been finding that money from other sources. And so here's what's going to happen is I'm going to set the limits on this Kickstarter or the goal for this Kickstarter for $100,000. If we just go crazy and we make the full $300,000, then that's great, right? That'd be awesome. If we get less than that, I have uh, things in place to make up that extra, that, that deficit from other investors outside. That is not ideal because every time you take money from investors, we are losing profit on the back end, which makes it less likely we'll be able to make all the additional games we want to. Right, and it also means you're giving up some amount of creative control. If we can fund the whole thing just through just through fan donations to get the full three hundred thousand dollars, that is so amazing. That means we have complete control. That means we can sell the game at a really low price point because there's nobody trying to make their money back on it. Um, it's it's just it's really great all along. You get a higher quality game and it's cheaper. Right. The more money we have to borrow from outside people, from publishers and, and the like, the more money we have to take from them, the more we have to charge for the game when it comes out because we're splitting the profits between more groups, and the less sort of quality and timing control we have over the product. Um, it's, not, it's not horrible, obviously, but uh, anyway. I thought $100,000 was a very reasonable goal to meet, right? And, uh, you know, if it takes off and does well, uh, maybe we'll do a lot more than that, which would be great.
3: What have you learned from your first Kickstarter attempt in in terms of like a timing? Like you you've <laughs> already mentioned the 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 July Fourth weekend, uh, but well, also in terms of uh, you know working with the whole aspect of crowdsourcing. And I mean, sure. you guys had a great uh, a, a, what I consider to be a pretty great uh, breakdown of uh, pledge to benefit sort of. Ratio and I, um, I'm just kind of wondering: Are we going to see the same kind of thing? And uh, um, yes, I think expect? I
1: think the rewards are going to be just as good. We've actually looked into more reward stuff, uh, but so I think the the big thing that I learned is I didn't realize what a delay there is on press. Um, I thought, you know, I I got the Kickstarter site ready, uh, and about a week before I went live, I kind of kind of poked around and tried to let some people know it was coming. And I thought I was going to do a big reveal. Um, but then because there was no press, I, I had no big reveal. And then there was just nothing. And I, I did some interviews. I did a thing with Gamasutra, which actually came out a month later after the Kickstarter was over. Uh, I did some interviews with a couple <laughs> of different terrible. sites. And I, I thought those would go quickly, but they took a long time. So this time I'm getting started more than a month in advance um, so that I can have all that press ready to go to really get that big initial push as soon as the Kickstarter launches. Well, another thing is that uh, one of the things that a lot of people wanted to see in the first Kickstarter, they wanted to see in-game footage. They wanted to see monsters running around. They wanted to see that we actually had something. Uh, I mean, the video we had was literally just me talking. Right, right. right. And I I interspaced some some old stuff. Yeah. So one of the reasons I couldn't show anything in the first one uh, was that we didn't actually have the license to use the engine. Um, I had made an arrangement with Pipeworks to license their engine, but I had to pay them before I could get the engine. And, of course, I needed to raise the money via Kickstarter before I could pay them. Well, so since then, I realized that this wasn't going to work. So I've renegotiated my deal with them. And they've agreed to let me have the engine and use it as long as I'm not selling a product before they get paid. Ah, So that is actually giving me – that gives me the ability to show in-game footage. Um, Of course, then – we had to think which monsters were we going to show. We can't show Godzilla monsters. That right. would be easy. But we can't show Godzilla monsters because we do not have the Toho license. Once again, we have to raise the money before we can say anything like we're going to have Godzilla monsters. So I tried in my first video to kind of indicate that maybe there might be some Godzilla monsters. I mean I've already, I've already been in, in negotiations with the Toho. And we already have some, some dollar amounts floating around. Um, but – We've also been using this time since the last Kickstarter. We've developed a bunch of original monsters with some of our backers. And we are right now in the process of getting 3D models and audio and so forth built for them. So we're going to have something uh, to show people in our new video. So that's, that's another big change that I hope will make people feel a lot more confident on our ability to deliver.
3: Ah, oh, Very cool. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I, when I watched your video, I recognized, oh, you know, PipeWorks software. I know that name. I know that uh, if he's, you know, if Simon worked with PipeWorks on these games, that's why they're showing the footage. Is because that's the kind of knowledge that's going to go into this new project. Right. Um, but I'm kind of wondering if that was one of those things that didn't sure. really play out for the the potential backers. Now, do you have um uh you you had Matt Frank involved with the project? Yes. And uh, how 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 was he involved? Originally, and how is he going to be involved? Because uh, a lot of a lot of the fans sure. love his work. Well, so obviously. Matt
1: Frank, uh, his title is he is the art director. Um, he's really, uh, I think Matt Frank is really, you know, today he is sort of the iconic uh, Godzilla artist that's working now. He's been doing the uh, the Godzilla comics with IDW, um, and he's been doing he's been doing a lot of other work with IDW with things that haven't been announced yet. Uh, and he's been very popular in the fandom and with his deviant art. So I thought that having a really nice look to the game, especially in the 2D elements, uh, would really help sell things. And I know that he has a lot of connections, and he could really help uh, get get the fans excited about this. Because I really want the fan feedback. It it kills me when the game comes out and people say, "Oh, this beam is the wrong color." And I was like, "Oh, I wish like that's that would take ten seconds to change." I wish oh, someone right, had told yeah. me before we launched the game, yeah. right? Um, and so now we're in a position where we can get that fan feedback and we can make sure that everyone's happy with things. And having Matt's involvement from the beginning is, uh, is a big part of getting that level of sort of fan involvement. Um, he has been doing all the concept art for our original monsters. Uh, he's been doing the orthographic turnarounds. And so we're building the, all the 3D models directly from his drawings. Uh, he also did the the wallpaper uh, that we gave out as a reward. And he's doing our T-shirt designs. He's doing... He's doing an awful lot of our 2D elements. Oh, that is um, very cool. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm, you know, I obviously, he and I are separated by thousands of miles, but we talk four times a week. We're sending emails back and forth all the time. Uh, yeah, he's really, he's very excited and very committed to to the project.
3: No, it's very, very cool to see that he is involved with the project. I mean, I, I, I want to say you probably couldn't ask for uh, a more, well-known within the fandom sort of Godzilla fan to be yep. in, like specifically involved in the creative process?
1: Well, you know, it's not... I mean, it's not just about his talent, too, but he's really enthusiastic about this project. Like, he's played the games, he likes the games, he's excited to be working on a game project. That And that really makes all the difference. Like, you know, I've worked with art- artists in the past who are very talented, but you have to really push them, and it's kind of like pulling teeth to get get work from them, mm-hmm. uh, and Matt is, is very excited, and he, you know, he churns this uh, stuff out really quickly, and so with our collaborators, for example, he's able to sort of like sit there, we do a Skype call, we're talking with them, and he's able to like throw out little sketches uh, while we're talking, which is uh, really a great level of enthusiasm, very cool.
3: What has been the uh, the most popular aspect of this game uh, to the to the potential backers that you've spoken with? Has it been the sort of stackability, or has it been the potential for licenses,
1: or maybe the creation
3: of custom monsters?
1: So interestingly, I mean, the, I'm I'm surprised by this every time, but you know, I suppose I should be surprised. What people really care about are the monsters, <clears throat> and people just like when are we going to see Gorosaurus? when are we going to see gabara when are we going to see zone fighter when like people just pick a monster or two that they haven't seen and they just go nuts you know talking about what that monster would be like when are we going to see it um honestly like the whole <clears throat> cross franchise battle ness of it i thought that would be an amazing like you know monster fan wet dream mm-hmm. people don't even really talk about it much really? Uh, it's really just like are we going to get X, whoever their favorite monster is that's never been in a game and that's what they really care about interesting um, so <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's weird because for me it would have been that sort of cross uh cross right. studio uh fight combination where you know if i wanted ultraman to fight against uh Biollante, like maybe that would happen kind of thing but yeah uh, Yep. is so it, actually i had a question specifically about that and yes. uh, regarding licenses is would you potentially be able to do that because of the i um, i'm, I'm going to use a term that i can't remember if you used or not but because of the stackability of the mini, of the mini games is that sort of how sure. you'd be able okay. to do that
1: well so let me let me let me use our terms um, so it's a franchise right that's an important thing and so we have a multi release vision right so each release is a standalone game. Each release has, you know, you can, you can buy any individual game and play that game by itself. Okay? But when you've bought a game, if you've bought multiple games, you can load the content from your other games into your game. So I, I think the Lego franchise is really useful here. Um, when you buy a bunch of Legos, you could keep all your Legos in individual boxes. Right. And only use your Legos with the Legos that came in that box. Right. But Legos are so easy because they're, they always work together. It's very, very simple to take the Legos from one set and use them with another set. Okay. Um, normally in video games, this is impossible. Uh, there are a couple of reasons why. Primarily because you change the technology every single time. right? I mean, even within the Godzilla games that I've worked on, the, the characters in Save the Earth would not work in Destroy All Monsters Melee because hmm. we had changed all, all sorts of things behind the scenes. Um, but one of the things about Kaiju Combat that makes it cheaper to develop on my end is that we're going to make one set of tools drive everything, right? So once we have kind of all the technology in place, we're just going to be churning out content. We're going to be making new monsters, new effects, new storylines, new environments, and we're just going to keep churning that out as long as people will pay us to do it. Um, Instead of reinventing the wheel and developing new engine technology and new shaders all the time, we just really want to focus on content. So by making the game a shell, that supports modularized content that we're going to be developing over years. That allows people to individually sort of like reconfigure which bits of content they're going to be playing with at any given time. So, I mean, this is important though. When we do the Godzilla release, right, the Toho release, it will only be Toho Monsters. Right. And so it's only Toho Monsters fighting Toho Monsters in that release. And when we sell that release, Toho will be getting a percentage of the sales on that release. If we also sell an Ultraman product, Toho is not making any money off the Ultraman product. It's a separate product, sold separately, marketed separately, right? Yes. But since it is the same technology, it's very simple to just put your Ultraman in my Godzilla. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so there's, it's a little bit of a juggling act because <clears throat> are we making a game where Godzilla can fight Ultraman? Absolutely not. <laughs> We're making two separate games, right. one with Godzilla right. and one with Ultraman. They just happen. Well, to be a little be bit able of a wink, saying right. We, we know what you're going to be doing with these games. Right, right. You're going to take them home and mix them all together. So, awesome. Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah, actually, one of the things that I, um, and I'm a big fan of the, the, the Pipeworks games, you know, Destroy All Monsters Melee, Save the Earth, and Unleashed. Right. Um, and my favorite of the three is Save the Earth. Sure. I, I, I think, think a lot of people would agree with that. Yeah, one of the things that I, and I'm an Xbox guy, so one of the things I loved yeah. about it was, um, seeing the updated roster as, with all the monsters that that were available sure. at the well, time. Well, did you
1: play Destroy All Monsters Melee on the Xbox? Uh, yes, I did. Oh, good for you. That was a it was a really a superior version, but uh, didn't didn't sell so well.
3: <laughs> I actually played uh, Destroy All Monsters Melee both on the Xbox and on the GameCube. Right. Yep. it Came yeah. out GameCube first. And actually, now that I'm talking about it, I've played Save the Earth on both the PS2 and the Xbox.
1: 360 and um well save the earth two. was very similar on the ps2 and the xbox i mean it was there were there were little little tiny differences and mm-hmm. you know some visual things but it it wasn't really fundamentally different whereas we actually we fixed some gameplay issues between the gamecube and the xbox release of destroy monsters melee so i, I can say with uh, assurance that the xbox version of Destroyal monsters melee is the definitive one
3: very cool so, very cool yeah. and then uh unleashed so i just Quick sidebar question: Why sure. did Why did uh, Godzilla Unleashed never come out for the Xbox?
1: <laughs> well, it's because of our goals. Um, the goals really were to make a Wii title, and so uh, I mean, it's obviously, it's a little bit of a sore spot. I Unleashed is it's really hard. It's hard to talk about reliably because it's so good in so many ways, but you can't tell. <laughs> um, uh-huh. It's like if I if I were a chef and i had this amazing dinner and i had it all right and then i burned it right i mean you'll get it and you'll be like oh this food's no good right but i'm like but the ingredients are so good and we prepared it so right and it's just it's really but you can't tell because it got burned so godzilla unleashed is is really like that there's there's so many amazing bits there but We very specifically said this is a game that's going to use the Wii, that's going to take advantage of all these Wii-like things that you can't do with a regular controller. And I spent, I mean, I spent months really thinking about this. What is, what can you do with the Wii controller that you can't possibly do with an Xbox controller, right? Mm -hmm. And I built the game around those things. Um, And so, you know, you might say, why would you do that? That just means you can't ever port the game. Well, I've... I can't tell you why, but that was, that was sort of our direction, was make something that's really unique that would only work on the Wii to really show off the Wii. Um, unfortunately, the things that I came up with that could only be done with the Wii controller were too complex for human beings to reliably do. Oh, no. Uh. <laughs> I mean, uh, I had the game initially. I was like, oh, so the Wii, Wii controller, it actually has more buttons and more inputs than an Xbox controller, Okay. Because you essentially have like three joysticks. Yeah. Okay. Because you have the actual joystick, and then the, the movement of the, t- of the nunchuck and the Wii Remote are like two more joysticks. Right. So it's like controlling three joysticks simultaneously while still having access to all your buttons. Okay. And so, you know, some people have a hard time controlling two thumbsticks at the same time. Right? Understandable. Yes. <laughs> and I, I will tell you with assurance that almost nobody can even comprehend what moving three joysticks simultaneously is supposed to feel like. Um, but I did it with Godzilla. I had it so that the thumbstick on the nunchuck, nunchuck was moving you in space, right? Moving you in 2D space, right? right. And the, the pitch and shaking of the nunchuck was moving you in uh, a different plane in vertical space, okay? And the movement of the Wii Remote was moving your tail and while the buttons and the D-pad on the thing were moving your head and the other buttons were controlling your punch attacks, so you could literally be charging and firing your weapon while, you know, looking over to the left, swinging your tail to the right, jumping through the air, and doing a sidestep. You could do all of that simultaneously, right? Uh, yes. it, was, it was awesome, and it was nuts. But, like, uh, in Godzilla Unleashed, movement and attacks are completely decoupled. Um, so, for example, in the previous games, when Godzilla does an uppercut, he takes this big step forward so that he can hit people with his uppercut, right? And that's one of the things that people really like about that move. It has this big movement, you know, jump forward and do this uppercut. In Godzilla Unleashed, uppercut just fires right in front of his face. It doesn't move forward at all. But that's because you can be moving, doing any kind of movement you want, while that attack animation is playing out with his arms, right? So actually, if you just stand there and then you just run and throw the uppercut, you actually get exactly the same movement. But people don't think that way, right? They say, I'm going to do the uppercut. Oh, that sucked. It didn't go anywhere. And I was like, oh, but you could have been moving at the same time. But nobody does that. Ah. Um, In fact, your reaction thread was even separate. So while you were getting hit by something and going, oh, and being knocked to the side, you could jump in the middle of that. And it didn't override your reaction. It would just play at the same time. Right? You could be throwing attacks at the same time you're reacting. You could be fire, firing your weapon at the same time you're reacting. So someone could hit you to knock your head up so your beam misses them and fires up into the air. But you're still firing your beam and you still have some control. Um, but uh, there was a, an early test where I had two uh, – they were probably 15. And they sat there. And one of them just started mashing the A button. And his jabs were just clobbering the other guy. And the, the, the guy being hit said, I can't do anything. And he, he, he just said, that he goes, this is broken. The guy's hitting me so fast, I can't do anything. Right. And so I said, have you tried? Because <laughs> I knew that being hit didn't stop you from hitting him back. You could sit there and both be hitting each other simultaneously. He could be throwing uppercuts. He could be firing his weapon. He could be doing anything. But he had been trained by so many games that when you were being struck, that you can't do anything. He just sat there and waited for the guy to stop hitting him. Huh. Interesting. Um, so that was kind of a big failure. all of that just didn't work. And so in the last few months before we shipped the game, like we just had to admit that it was way too complex and no one could handle it and it wasn't good. And so we started pulling all that stuff back out.
3: Oh,
2: really? so
1: the things that we'd built the whole game around, that we'd made all these design decisions around supporting this whole really unique, complex thing. Then at the end, we were like, yikes, rip it out, rip it out, rip it out. Um, And so we ended up with something a little bit half-baked. Ah. Or burnt. I'm oh, mixing man. my metaphors. I uh, have burnt, yes.
3: Right. Uh that's uh sorry to hear that. It sounds it yeah. sounds yeah. uh sounds well it does it does actually sound very complex and I, c- I guess I can understand the reaction to
1: the the extremely complicated movements that you have available right. to you. Well but I mean if something is, is very complex, you don't say, Oh, this is very complex. You say this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean if you Yeah, you sit down and it if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work, and I, you know, it's easy for me to say. I certainly fall prey to this. I say like, oh no, it does work. It's just very complicated, and you're going to have to reconfigure your mind to think. But you know what? Yeah, it just doesn't work. It's all about public perception, I guess.
3: Yeah. So, uh, so speaking of public perception, uh, this kaiju combat game, your your plan is to have this uh, be on the PC. That's correct. Is there? Uh, is there any sort of portability to this at all, where you could well, eventually move it to move, move aspects of
1: it to Well, so uh, here's, console here's game. the thing: is that it's the Spigot engine, right? This is the engine that Pipeworks is still publishing games on the Wii U and the Xbox 360 and the PS34. Okay, right? Uh, this engine has already been ported; it's already running. Uh, I could be running this on the Wii U right now. Um, however, we're not going for a console release initially. Uh, right. And here's one of the reasons that console releases, you can't do the mix and match of content. That can't be done on a console. Every every release on a console is a little sandbox release that can't talk to anything else, right? And so especially initially when we're not going to have a huge roster, it, it's not gonna be the same experience, right? Um, the other reason is that doing a console release is very expensive. Mm-hmm. You have to, basically you have to take out a, a big loan from a publisher. Um, now, I'm not adverse to doing that once we have a product. Like, if we get Kaiju Combat out there and we've got 20 monsters and it's awesome and people love it, and some publisher comes up and says, Hey, I want to front you the money to put this on consoles, we will absolutely do that. In right. fact, I've already had several publishers come and approach me and talk to me about this. Um, but I'm not going to take their money to make the initial game. Um, I will take their money to do a port of our established successful game to the consoles, but I don't want to take their money to create the game in the first place.
3: Okay. And but you could uh, essentially could you take your finished game once it's been developed and and uh, you have a working uh, product essentially could you take that and port it for a, a console like the Xbox or the PS3 or the Wii and mm-hmm. then uh, add downloadable content packages like um, uh, you know I have Arkham City and right. and I downloaded uh, the a certain uh, Sure. Downloadable no, content familiar. for like um, character packs and fact, new maps and stuff I've like that. In fact, I've
1: got every achievement point in Arkham City with every character.
3: Uh, I'm a little jealous because I have not been able to <laughs> get past 70% complete on that game.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, man. The, some of those, some of those uh, advanced challenges are with the scrambled, scrambled senses are really, really frustrating. Um, yes, so that is possible. However, um, I am not sure that we would be able to do our cross-licensing trick with DLC, oh okay, uh, because DLC is for the same game. DLC is not a, a a separate game that has that separate pricing and separate you know separate finances. It's part of an existing game. Um, not to say that can't happen. And once we have an established product, maybe maybe some of these companies will say, "Sure, you can throw all our things together." i I have no idea what they'll say. Right. Um, I know how it works on the PC. I know how we can get all these exciting things that I really want on the PC. So that's where we're going to put our focus. Um, The console thing, I think, will probably happen about a year after we release on the PC. It'll happen one way or another.
3: Okay. So PC gaming, uh, I do know a little bit about it. So uh, uh, I'm not going to speak from a a vast array (laughs) of knowledge on this. But so uh, you said multiplayer. So I'm assuming this is something... Um, Can you have multiple people on one computer playing? Absolutely.
1: I mean, when we developed all these Godzilla games, we developed them on PCs. We're always playing them on PCs, right? I mean, they just get put on consoles at the end. We almost never even play them on consoles. Oh, really? Um, Yes. (laughs) I mean, so this is something I was talking with Matt Frank about this today. In fact, did you know you can plug your Xbox 360 controllers right into your PC and they work I did not. Mine are all there, there you wireless go. though. So, <laughs> okay, well, um, that makes sense. Uh, you're talking about the USB ones, right? Yep, yep. They plug in. A uh, PS3 controllers can just be plugged in. They just plug into your computer and they work great. Um, that is something that's important is that to play Kaiju Combat you're going to need to have a gamepad. Okay. Uh, and, you know, an Xbox 360 gamepad is actually what I would recommend, although I'm just because they're they're cheap and they work great. But we actually, Logitech has actually donated 25 really high-end wireless PC gamepads to us, and so we're going to be giving those away as part of our Kickstarter rewards. Oh, Um, very cool! So if you can snag one of those, uh, that that is even better. But you know, that's those are sort of high-end, expensive models. Yes,
3: Uh, I think I've seen those online. But so, uh, and then uh, additionally, multiplayer. Is there a I'm playing on my computer, you're playing on your computer, you know, in, in yes, Eugene, network. and I'm up here in Portland yeah. kind of thing. In
1: fact, I mean, I could be playing like, um, you know, I could be playing with a friend on on my machine, and we could be playing against you in your machine up in Portland, and then Matt Frank could be the fourth player. So Excellent. all those things are very easy with PC. That is very cool. Yep. Uh,
3: so I'm, you know, personally, I want to see this succeed, and I think really what I want my listeners to understand is that, uh, you know, if they if they back the project, it's not just going to immediately mean there's a Godzilla game. And, right. but, you know, continuing to back that project and, and uh, donating more than the um, I can't remember what the term is on, on Kickstarter, but w- going sure. over the goal. Well, there's different
1: reward uh, tiers, right? Right. Um, so one of the most popular ones. So if you pledge seventy five dollars. Then we promise that you will get a free copy of every Kaiju Combat game we ever release, uh, which you know hopefully could be 12, 16, 20 games over the next several years. Awesome. Um, so that seems like a pretty good that seems like a pretty good deal. That's uh, a lot of people uh, thought that it was a good deal, and we were, were able to pledge that much. Uh, the other very popular reward. Uh, this is limited, though we can't give <laughs> we can't give away an infinite number of these. Is uh, for five hundred dollars which is a lot of money, but for $500 you get to work with myself and Matt Frank and we will take your original monster concept and a monster that can go into the game.
3: Yes, so if any of the listeners out there want to give me $500 so that I can donate and have my <laughs> my own KaijuCast monster in there, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, well, yeah, so no, actually, that is really cool. That is that's a great, great um, opportunity.
1: We have revealed six of these original monsters. We've actually started doing some of these for some of our backers. Uh, so let me let me just run through. Let me just throw out the names. Um, all of these are available on the Kaiju Combat Design Wiki, um, which is kaijucombat.wiki.zoho.com. Um, the entire design document, everything we're doing, all of our assets, all of our audio files, we're putting it up there for the world to see as we, as we develop it. Um, and so you can see our, our original monsters that we've released. We have one more to go. But we have uh, Macrosaurus, the world's fattest dinosaur. <laughs> uh, he's literally a dinosaur who ate so much that he became Godzilla-sized. Uh, and he can eat holes in reality. And so he has traveled through time to uh, come to modern day. Uh, we've got Mora Titan, who was a giant moray eel who has an affinity for the coral reef that he lives in and is able to uh, psychically control the coral to form an exoskeleton for himself, allowing him to walk on dry land with these giant coral limbs and this eel kind of acting as the head and neck oh, that's trapped cool. within the coral. It, it's really cool. <laughs> um, we've got Exterminus. Uh, Exterminus is the result of a alien war where these two sides kept building bigger and bigger weapons uh, to destroy one another, and eventually Exterminus was the biggest weapon killed one side and then turn around and killed the other side. And now he just walks around on this planet killing any living thing that he sees. So the planet is basically completely devoid of life and he's just walking around it for centuries. Kind of like a uh, kind of like oh what's the what's that film? Wally. Yes, Wally oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Um so he's pretty cool and he's got sort of a crab legs and you know upper torso thing going on. Um, then we've got Tornok. Tornok is a, uh, an ice bear spirit who's um, got sort of looks like a giant polar bear with, with glyphs and uh, sort of a, a ice armor, sort of like Iceman. And she can change her claws into big icy clubs uh, and frozen breath and so forth. So all that ice bear goodness. Uh, then we have Dragon Lotus, who is a, a, a human martial artist who found some uh, alien armor that transforms her into a giant hero. And sort of has this dragon aspect and she can control the wind when she's wearing it. And so she has a very uh, kung fu style. She's not as big or as uh, physically strong as the other monsters, but she you know, makes up for that with technique. Uh, then the last monster we revealed, there's one more still unrevealed, but the last one is Heart Eater. <laughs> Heart Eater is kind of uh, the Dragon Lotus's dark mirror. It's an alien who found a similar power armor a hundred, a thousand years ago maybe. And initially used it to do noble things, hunt down you know monsters that were threatening good people and kill them. But over time, uh, over centuries, has really just started to enjoy hunting and killing giant monsters all over the galaxy, and has pretty much lost focus of anything else. Uh, so is sort of a, a speedy assassin-like character. Um, and her her big trick is that she impales her opponents and takes a sample of their blood and magically infuses their blood into her weapons. So they're specifically attuned to kill that one particular opponent. Wow, that's that sounds really cool, man. It's it's pretty cool.
3: Uh, wow. very cool. Yeah. So we'll have a link in the show notes to that wiki as well oh, yes. as all of great. all of the uh, the links that you guys are going to need for for this project and the Sunstone Games forums and all of that stuff.
1: Yes, the forums are really cool. That all of these monsters have their own. Uh, individual design threads in the forums where people talk about it and the collaborators who worked on these monsters with myself and with Matt Frank um, are all over those forums and mean like, oh, you know, people say, why don't they do this? And they'll say, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I should have them do that. So they're actually, people get to work with the collaborators and kind of throw out ideas, um, which is exciting, hopefully. Well, I'm very excited about this project. Here's my little plea is that um, it's really great. I love to have more and more people come in and get behind the Kickstarter and back it. But unless you are really, really wealthy, um, it's almost always more important um, – instead of you know, an individual giving a big backing, it's almost always more important to tell your friends about it. I oh, mean yes. if every listener – you know, instead of trying to give $100 yourself, if you can give $30, $40 and you can get a couple of friends to kick in, that's a lot better. Um, Really, spreading the word is the key here. Like, more donors is more important than than big donors. Excellent, excellent.
3: So, uh, yeah, get out there and spread the word, you guys. Make sure that you uh, you you back this project and tell all your friends about the project. And hopefully, as many of them will will back it as possible. Uh, Simon, thank you so much for for joining us here. And yep. uh, I hope to talk to you again very soon. Maybe when the game is released, I'll come down. Uh, to Eugene, since you're you so close to, to release. me,
1: you can come down when it's halfway done. All right, maybe, uh, I, will. maybe yeah, I will. Yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have builds out there. In fact, if you donate to the Kickstarter, you can be eligible and you can get monthly builds in development, and you can actually be checking out and playing and giving bug reports and giving feedback on all the balance issues and everything. We're serious about involving all our fans. Excellent,
3: excellent. That fan, that fan feedback and fan involvement—that's something that I think uh, you guys really have going for you. I sure hope so. Cool. Well, thank you again. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, everybody look out for that Kickstarter.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Kyle.
3: Once again, a gigantic, uh, monstrous thank you to Simon Strange for, for being on the show and talking all about Kaiju Combat. You know, I think it's a, I think it's a really great Kickstarter project to, to help crowdsource and get that funding in. Um, everything he's talking about sounds really cool. So why don't you help him out? Make sure you check the show notes for uh, links to their their actual Kickstarter page and their wiki and all that cool stuff that they have going on. I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about um, some housekeeping issues. First and foremost, um, the Daikaiju discussion. Uh, As I've said before, I'm a little annoyed at Media Blasters, and we're not holding back the Daikaiju discussion. We're not postponing it for another month. Gamera the Brave is still the month of November's Daikaiju discussion film, but what we're going to do instead is... um, I'm going to wait (laughs) to hear if uh, if those discs are actually shipping out because, you know, if it's the 15th today and, you know, if, if they get into the stores by the 18th, you know, we do have another half of the month left and um, we're going to be watching it at my house n- like next week. But, you know, that doesn't mean we have to, you know, immediately record everything. So uh, what I will say is, I will post it on the website. I will post it on the Facebook page when the deadline is. And if you've already sent it in, that's awesome. If you've got the movie and you want to watch it and send in your homework, that's great. I appreciate that. It helps me compile all the notes beforehand. Um, If you want to try and wait for the Blu-ray, just kind of keep your fingers on the pulse on the Facebook page, which of course is facebook.com slash KaijuCast. Um, It's basically... As far as I'm concerned, if it comes in before the last weekend, if the movies are being shipped before the last weekend of the month, then we can probably wait. But other than that, I might just have to pull the trigger and and, uh, pick a deadline. But, you know, feel free to send in your your discussion (laughs) right now. Uh, Go ahead and send that to controller at kaijucast.com, and I'll make sure to include your notes in the next episode where we talk about Gamera the Brave. Um, now, I don't have a lot of other things to talk about. Uh, there's there's going to be another live show, but I can't decide if it's going to be in December or if we're going to do it in January as sort of like the the uh, anniversary episode. Uh, I want to say this will be four years. Yeah, that's four years. Uh, four years of doing the show, so maybe that's what we'll do. January will be our sort of, you know, big event. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to have, instead of, a million little giveaways going on. We'll just have like two or three big giveaways, like giant prize packs if you will. So, I'll be sub- uh, soliciting some people in the local area for giant monster related goodness and uh some people out beyond Portland as well, like uh, my good friends at IDW Publishing, maybe some other things going on too. We'll just have to see when that happens, but look for that um not in December this year, but in January of 2013. Um. What else do I have to talk about? I don't really think a lot. I think basically I just wanted to say if you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory and want to basically check out everything we're, you know, all about, point your web browsers to KaijuCast.com where you can see the entire list of every episode we've got, listen to every show we've done see the full list of Daikaiju discussion episodes. We're going to start adding toy reviews, which they're not going to be a ton of them at first, but I think we're actually going to start with um, uh, reviewing the SH Monster Arts figures. Uh, I'll be comparing, uh, doing an article comparing the um, the X Plus figures at some point. Not all of them, just, you know, sort of different iterations of them. Uh, and it's, you know, it's basically, these are companion pieces to talking about them a little bit on the podcast. So make sure you check out KaijuCast.com. If you're on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, if you're on Tumblr, you can follow the KaijuCast, whether you uh, do it through one, two, or all three of those social media networks. We're on them, and man, I like posting things, especially on Tumblr. Tumblr's awesome for for reposting Godzilla images, and I, I sort of have it all tied together. So I think we're gonna go ahead and wrap things up here. Now, the um, last thing I want to do in this episode is to remind you about your da Kaiju discussion homework, which, of course, I don't have a deadline for. So apologies for that. But um, send your thoughts, questions, and reviews to controller at kaijucast.com. You know, w- before we do the next episode, uh, keep your eyes open for a Facebook post about the deadline for Gamma the Brave. We had a uh, Joe, who I actually played a request for earlier. One of the things he requested was Goodbye Godzilla by Josie Cotton and I was like, I don't even know what this song is. Until next episode, Jamata. Soon
2: <laughs> to leave me. I want you go. I don't want to cry but the tears flow freely. I miss you so. Somewhere in the world you have winding places you're looking for. I'll be waiting you